Well, good morning. It is 9.04 and time for the COVID brief, regular Thursday COVID brief. I'm Jay Barrett. You're listening to Public Radio, KBBI AM 890 Homer. We have on the line with us this morning, I believe, uh, Dorotha Ferraro from South Peninsula Hospital. Good morning, Dorotha. Good morning, everybody. I can hear you just fine. Excellent. I can hear you too. And also, Nurse Lauren Carroll from the uh, Alaska Division of uh, Public Health Nursing. How are you today? I'm good. Good morning, Jay. You're loud and clear. And I got Dorotha, too. Excellent. Excellent. It sounds like we're cooking with gas here. Uh, well, the big news is that the um, CDC has changed the um, recommended time for isolation for uh, COVID-19. Lauren, can you talk about the uh, change of isolation from 10 days to, to five days and what uh, what's behind that thinking? Oh, sure thing, Jay. Thanks for the question. You know, in regards to the pandemic over the past couple of years, what we've seen is what happens in the UK, it gives us some hints regarding what might happen in the lower 48 and those uh, give us hints about what we might look uh, at in the future here in, in our state here in Alaska. So currently what we're looking at in regards to Omicron, and that's the newest variant of concern that is creating new cases right alongside Delta, um, Omicron accounts for about 58 to 59 percent of the total new cases reported in the lower 48. And so that's, it, Omicron itself is, we know that it uh, is more transmissible than Delta, but it also has a shorter infectious period, incubation period. And what I mean by incubation period is the length of time between when you get exposed and then you start to show signs and symptoms, or you have a positive test, or you could otherwise pass it on to someone else. And that's why CDC is coming out with the, the shorter recommendations. Now, here at home in Alaska, we've only sequenced a total of six uh, cases or specimens that contain Omicron, and so we haven't shifted uh, that guidance just yet here in Alaska. Okay. Um, so what I read is that uh, Omicron uh, folks are generally uh, most uh, infectious one to two days before they get the symptoms, and then two to three days afterwards, and therefore their thinking is if you're asymptomatic uh, after five days, you're probably fine, right? Yeah, that's, you know, that's perhaps correct. Um, but also at this point, uh, there's no way of telling if you have Delta or Omicron or another variant of the SARS-CoV-2 uh, virus. Um, so the, these recommendations are, are based on you know, all factors that play into transmissibility um, of the virus across an entire population. So I guess the, one of the take-homes here would be if you're symptomatic um, and you've been boosted or uh, you've completely uh, completed your primary series, you should wear a mask around others for 10 days and get tested on day five. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um... Regarding um, uh, the testing, uh, there's some uh, uh, concern in the in the press. I've read that the accuracy of at-home tests uh, 
might not be as uh, well that might not be as accurate uh, with Omicron do you know anything about that oh you know I haven't heard uh, that Omicron escapes or, or is not uh, as the at-home tests aren't as effective with Omicron I, I haven't read that yet um, but what we do know about at-home tests is the uh, its ability to indicate if the uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus is there or not is a little less effective than like if you were to drive up to the uh, the testing site at South Peninsula Hospital or to call your doctor. That being said, uh, if you do get a positive at home, uh, you should certainly consider that a positive and call your doctor if you have any signs and symptoms. Okay. If I might. Uh, um, is, I just, oh, yes, please. I just wanted to um, further kind of talk about the at-home testing and the the where Homer fits into the rest of the nation. You know, part of the value of the at-home test nationwide and even worldwide is because access to testing in other communities and states isn't as easy and accessible as it is right here in Homer. And because seven days a week, nine to six, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., seven days a week, you can come get tested by professionals and it will get processed um, in our laboratory and um, there's not as much reason to rely on the home testing in like a community like ours that offers seven days a week testing. So I would just encourage folks, other than New Year's Day when we will be closed, um, I would just encourage folks to utilize the service that is right here as opposed to relying on those others. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good, uh, good advice. Uh, regarding the at-home tests and the uh, holidays, uh, I know the, the tests are available there. Uh, do you have a um, do you have a uh, enough supply? Is what I'm asking. Enough supply? There's a story that uh, Alaska uh, was short on uh, those at-home tests. How's the supply here? As far as the supply at our testing clinic and what we use those for are when we're closed for the holiday and if you do not qualify. To be tested and really the only reason you would not qualify would be that you're not sick you weren't with a known positive you know you're really not in a kind of a risk zone you don't need it for a medical procedure you don't need it for employment verification um, so th that would be the only reason you wouldn't qualify um, but we we have testing kits available the supply that we got at the end of December um, we still have dozens if not even um, a couple hundred available so at our facility we have plenty some of the headlines might be related to um, the ones that you purchase in a retail environment because they do not necessarily have the same supply chain or um, storage capacity and and don't necessarily have the history of how many they're going to go through in a week or a month so it might be more of the retail ones that that, that those headlines apply to Wow. Okay. Okay. Can we talk about the um, well, just the standard uh, numbers, Lauren? Uh, positives, uh, hospitalizations, uh, deaths, and everything. Oh yeah, sure thing. Let's see. You know, uh, one clear take home for for us here in Alaska is we were enjoying a downward trend since. Uh, before mid-November, um, and that continued through the end of November 
in this first part of December through the middle of December. But beginning December 22nd through December 28th, that week, uh, we experienced an increase of 66%. Uh, so two-thirds increase in cases uh, for that particular week. Um, in regards to hospitalizations, we're not doing too bad. About two-thirds of non-ICU beds across uh, the state are occupied. So only about a third of those are available. And it's the same picture for adult ICU beds. And, you know, 52 folks are currently hospitalized in the state with COVID, um, and 10 of those are on the vent. And that accounts for about 6% of all hospitalizations right now. Now, the other measure that's uh, good to point at and keep an eye on is those uh, cases are also being reflected in a high rate of uh, positivity for tests daily, and that is over 7%. And so what that tells us with that kind of high positivity rate is that there uh, are certainly cases of COVID out there in many or all communities that we're missing right now. So we're, overall, we're having an increase. Now, is that related to Omicron or is it related to Delta or both? At this point, we're not quite certain. Um, we know that it's related to Delta uh, and we know that Omicron is in the state, but we don't know to what degree. And we'll know more over the next uh, two to three weeks. And that's in part because uh, number one, it takes a few weeks for sequencing to complete, so that information comes in late. But also, number two, there's a, a lot of travel going on right now um, with the holidays, even despite weather. Um, so we expect that there could be an increase related to that uh, travel as well. Uh, it's worse than that. There's a whole lot of people just sitting in the SeaTac airport, not going anywhere and coughing on each other. Uh, so it's worse than just travel. Uh, you know, I was going to ask about, uh, there seems to be uh, a trend, I, I, uh, not here yet, we haven't had enough cases, but that the uh, hospitalizations and deaths are seem detached from infection rates, that uh, they're not going up, uh, deaths especially, I guess, are not going up as fast as uh, infections and hospitalizations. Uh, it, does that speak to uh, something unique in the Omicron variant, or does that speak to breakthrough cases of uh, vaccinated and boosted people who are getting breakthrough cases but not, you know, dying from it? What do you think? You know, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, a couple things that we know for certain is deaths are, are typically really late to be reported, and that's for a couple of reasons. Number one, because of stress on the healthcare and public health systems, but also number two of folks that get hospitalized for COVID and those folks that are having a really tough time, um, they're at, you know, sometimes in the hospital for uh, months before ultimately if they die of COVID, before dying of COVID. And uh, yeah, in regards to cases, you know, United States is up, you know, over 150% compared to a couple weeks ago. Um, but hospitalizations is up about 14%. Um, so yeah, the, you know, I think that those two are still linked heavily in, in the, so the underlying question here, I think is, is, is Omicron less virulent or does it do less damage uh, to people that are suffering from the disease? And at this point, it, it looks like that could be the case, um, but there's a lot of preprint or 
new scientific evidence out there that still needs to be reviewed by the scientific community. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, speaking of things that are potentially disconnected, I was thinking uh, with all these uh, home tests uh, being passed around the nation, uh, and, you know, maybe somebody gets a positive, they're, they're vaxxed, and they ah, I feel fine, I'm just going to isolate, and they don't tell anybody. Uh, I'm wondering how uh, home tests will be uh, uh, added into or accounted for in the grand scheme of keeping track of this thing. Yeah, you know, we're wondering the same thing. Um, you know, as uh, <laughs> you know, currently in Alaska, the 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 daily test positivity is increasing, um, but also at home testing is becoming more and more available. So, you know, a couple of things could happen in the future, and we won't know until we get there, but there could be uh, so much at-home testing that, that that metric of daily test positivity might not be that helpful for mitigating um, SARS-CoV-2 virus. Um, but what also could happen is there could be, uh, you know, more available at-home tests that are linked to some kind of electronic uh, uh, system, and those could be... Uh, those could be made to be uh, reportable in line with Alaska statute. So these would be like something where you send in a sample to a laboratory and get your results online. That could happen, um, but uh, that's unknown from today's perspective. Mm -hmm. Is there, um, does the state keep track of the ratio between uh, positives, hospitalizations, and deaths uh, between vaccinated and unvaccinated patients? Yes, uh, all of that actually is populated in a COVID uh, monthly update and it outlines hospitalizations, death, repeat and vaccine breakthrough infections uh, from the beginning of the pandemic through that particular month. Um, so the one that's available right now, it's a, it's a pretty long report. It's about 15 pages. And the one that's available online right now is uh, through October, the end of October. So it, it does things like outlines here in Alaska what proportion of all cases have been male and female and also breaks it down by race <clears throat> and, and ethnicity. So things like this are, are what helps us uh, point to and identify that things like covid are impacting Alaska natives disproportionately as compared to like uh, uh, black Alaskans and white Alaskans. But it, it also does a breakdown of uh, all hospitalizations in, in regards to non-ICU and ICU um, stays, how long they were there and how many uh, days on average and the range of uh, folks needing to be on a ventilator. Mm -hmm. Do you have uh, access to those numbers? I mean, do, do you have a snapshot of, of uh, how Alaska is doing in those cases? Oh, yeah. Let's see. You know, in regards to male versus female since the beginning of the pandemic, it's, it's been almost a split, nearly 50-50. Um, but about... 23% of all cases have been Alaska Native, but Alaska Natives only account for 16% of the total population. Um, I guess another uh, good metric or thing to be thinking about is 
uh, out of all hospitalizations um, due to COVID-19, um, those folks have been hospitalized a, a total range of anywhere between 1 to 128 days, but the mean or the average, most people are hospitalized for 8 or 9 days. Um, but uh, ventilators, how long are people on event when they're on event? Um, in Alaska, since the beginning through the end of October, uh, folks have been on event anywhere between 1 to 41 days with an average of 8 to 9 days. Okay. Uh, Dorotha, can I ask you about mono, monoclonal antibodies? Um, there are three of them, I understand, uh, for COVID-19 that have been authorized. Uh, however, due to decreased uh, efficacy against Omicron, only uh, Sotrovimab, oh, man, I can't say that, GlaxoSmithKline's uh, drug uh, is recommended right now. Uh, do you have any information about uh, uh, those sort of things? Well, um, I do understand um, that we are in a transition period for Alaska. So although those headlines, again, are appropriate for nationwide based on um, the Omicron spread nationwide because we haven't yet proven that the, that is the, the virus that we're battling at this moment. Um, we continue to use um, uh, really a variety of the um, emergency use authorized MABs um, based on the provider recommendation based on the patient who is um, being treated. So um, we, again, this is just really a transition week or two or three as um, we kind of, Alaska sees if we are going to kind of become the, the you know, micro version of, of the nation, but standing by until more um, data comes. But the MABs continue to be offered. We have a very nice, um, infusion area, infusion um, exam rooms or clinic rooms um, at the 4201 Bartlett Street location now. You have your own private entrance um, and we continue to give those um, MABs um, frequently. In the last week, we did 16 monoclonal antibody infusions and um, that is up a little bit from the prior week, which was um, 10. So uh, again, that's a treatment that's available and appropriate for most. Um, and that's the value in reaching out to your provider if you test positive, because then you will be able to get connected to treatment as quickly as possible. There is a window of time that those are recommended. And once you pass that window of days, then um, that would no longer be considered a, a valid treatment for you. So the, the clock definitely mm -hmm. starts ticking. Oh, sure, sure. Oh, we have a question from a listener uh, regarding SPH. They're curious about the auxiliary space for COVID recovery patients at the community church on Bartlett, which I think was set up uh, you know, a year and a half ago when COVID is ramping up, they're wondering uh, if it's still there and if uh, the hospital has any use for it. We have a longstanding um, MOA, um, Memorandum of Agreement, um, with the church, and that is that we, the hospital, gets priority use of that um, if needed. And so we did activate that MOA when the pandemic first started, and we occupied that space for many months. Um, we occupied it from 
March through, I believe we vacated it in October. And we never utilized it from the perspective of providing care. It was fully set up and ready to, um, but we, were, we never needed it for that purpose. Um, so that um, we we um, ended that that year's agreement, but a continuing one stays in place so that if we do need it, um, we would be able to to utilize that. The one hurdle that we have come to realize um, through this pandemic nationwide and worldwide, but right here in Homer too, is that you can have all the space in the world, um, but you along with that space, you need all the equipment and supplies and the trained providers and um, caregivers, and so there's it's a as well as treatment. So um, it's a pretty multi-pronged response, and space is just one of those. But we're happy that the church continues to um, honor that MOA, and that it's so close by that it really allows for a, a an easier response if we were to need it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, convenient to have that right there, and. Uh you know, ready just in case. Um, let's see. Are there uh, any anything uh, else you'd like to add, Dorotha? Any uh, any uh, not yeah. necessarily final yeah. thoughts, but close to them? Yeah. Well, I'm happy to give an update of um, numbers of how things were here in the last oh. week. Um, so the week ending on um, Tuesday. Um, so we are. Kind of, it's kind of like the way our week runs for reporting. We do a Wednesday report out, um, and that is up until end of day Tuesday. So we had eight ER visits related to COVID. We had no new admissions. So both in the last week and the week prior, we had zero new admissions for COVID. Um, we collected 527 tests, 31 were positive. That puts us at a 5.7%, just about 6% positivity rate. And we did 16 um, monoclonal antibody infusions. So we still are seeing um, COVID. We're um, detecting it in, through our testing and we are certainly treating people through the ER as well as um, by calling your care provider and getting referred for treatment. So COVID is still here and part of the, um, the, the many health issues that we're addressing. Um, we are going to the testing clinic on Bartlett Street will be closed on New Year's Eve afternoon. We'll be open until noon on New Year's Eve and then we'll be closed all day on um, New Year's Day. You can not only test there from nine to six, but you can also get vaccinated there. And we offer first dose, second dose, um, third dose, booster dose, whatever um, you need is offered there. Pediatric doses are um, uh, really on only certain days, um, but other than that, it's pretty much any time um, for anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, has there been any talk uh, in uh, Alaska or America, I guess, about uh, uh, a fourth dose, Dorotha, a second booster? I am unaware of that. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I mentioned last week Israel was uh, considering it, and uh, this week they've uh, implemented uh, second doses. Uh, did you guys hear the story on Here and Now this morning that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine seems to be pretty spiffy against Omicron? That's, uh, that's good news. I had not I heard a comment on it. Um, <laughs> mm. 
Go ahead, Lauren. Oh, pardon me. Yeah, I had not heard that yet, um, but it, you know, it's got me thinking or uh, just wanting to highlight um, that Omicron is, is still incredibly new in the nation. Um, we just indicated the first case of Omicron was identified December 1st, so just the first part of this month. Um, but what we know so far is that as compared to Delta, it's about five to six times more infectious, so it is highly um, transmissible. Um, but also of concern is the question, will the monoclonal antibodies, will they be effective against Omicron? And, you know, the best answer is we don't know, but, but there is at least one preprint study um, that indicates that perhaps uh, currently available monoclonal antibodies are expected to be ineffective against Omicron, um, but there's one that appears that it might still be efficacious or might still work. Now, what I mean by preprint is that it's an article that it hasn't gone through the peer review yet, um, so there may still be um, pieces that the authors want to finalize, or there might uh, be errors contained in that. Um, so stay tuned as the uh, the evidence builds and the scientific community is able to review it and then also push it out to the community. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Uh, given the uh, the more easy transmissibility of Omicron, is there new any new recommendations for uh, masking, uh, especially for travel? Uh, do I need uh, an N95, uh, you know, to uh, to go grocery shopping this afternoon? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, that's one of the upshots of Omicron is that uh, we know how to prevent transmission and we got a lot of practice doing it. Um, so yeah, it, any mask has, uh, all masks are effective to some degree. Um, but I think one of the take homes is that you really need to choose a mask that you're going to wear because it's comfortable or it has other traits that, that's going to make you wear it um, and have you wearing it comfortably. Um, but also continuing to keep space. So if you're traveling over the holidays here or the new year, um, might be good to not only um, wear a mask that's comfortable, but bring an extra one in, in case you need to exchange it out. Um, and, and also do your best on keeping distance from others and, and washing your hands. And if you haven't got a booster yet, um, right now would be the best time to go take advantage of that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Jay, what's uh, what's special about an N95 mask? Oh, N95 masks, uh, in the world of healthcare, those are actually uh, used, they're fitted to a, uh, the healthcare worker's face and then tested to make sure that the, that the fit is good, um, meaning that no air passes um, um, around the mask and directly into the respiratory system. Um, so that whole testing system is what makes it uh, so effective, but also the mask itself uh, has a filtration that's down to a very small, uh, it, it prevents uh, very small particles from going through the mask. So they're a little bit of more effective than what we call a client or regular mask in, in the healthcare setting, because in the healthcare setting, there's that testing that goes on to make sure it fits the, the healthcare worker's face. Mm -hmm. And the 95 stands for microns, right? It'll stop uh, things 95 microns and larger from getting through. 
You know, I don't uh, actually know that. Oh, very well. Uh, Dorotha, I think I cut you off earlier. Did you have something to add? Well, I was just going to um, apply that over into the healthcare world that some of the, the headlines and change that you might have seen was um, specific to healthcare guidance um, that CDC is recommending a little um, stricter um, use of the N95s in the healthcare setting by the healthcare providers and change the definition of exposure based on whether the healthcare provider was wearing an N95 or a, um, a procedure mask um, or other. So some of those changes were based on um, the initial thought that um, Omicron was more easily um, spread in a, in a more transmissible transmissible way. The CDC also updated the um, kind of the work restrictions in general as far as the definition of vaccinated for healthcare workers in regards to returning to work and um, just as recommending that healthcare workers are considered vaccinated only if they've had their booster and otherwise if they are not boosted they would be grouped into the unvaccinated for purposes of um, isolation if they were to be um, exposed and um, quarantining. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of uh, vaccinations, uh, I'm sorry I don't have any information on where this stands. Maybe you do, Dorotha. Where, where is the uh, federal mandate uh, for mask, masking uh, stand right now? Um, if you're saying vaccination? Um, oh, vaccinations. I'm sorry. Yes, yes, yes. Vaccinations yeah, okay. for healthcare uh, workers. So I'll do my best because, boy, I'll tell you, <laughs> it's, a, it's a bumpy ride as far as following all of this. Um, so the CMS Medicare, um, so the Medicare mandate for hospitals and healthcare places that take Medicare, um, that one is on hold for Alaska and um, 10 states that had filed a um, lawsuit against that. So that one is on hold, but because we employ over 100, um, we would fall into the OSHA mandate, and that is um, a mandate for employers of 100 or more. So um, those guide, that particular mandate is a little less strict, if you will, and that it is kind of like either either everybody has to be either a person has to be vaccinated or they have to have a um, exemption or they have to do a regular testing program I mean that has like a kind of a lot of options within it and that goes into effect in um, mid-January um, that one got delayed a little bit as well so right now that's kind of our target is just making sure that we are fully complying with that one um, on January 7 the um, Supreme Court will be hearing the appeal on the Medicare um, lawsuit and so then we'll learn more after January 7th about whether that one um, goes through so changing really regularly between the Medicare mandate and the OSHA mandate I do encourage um, listeners to pay attention to the OSHA one because even though we are a small town we do have um, we do have a lot of folks here who are employed by employers who have a hundred or more um, just because you live in Homer, you might be employed by a company, a statewide or even nationwide company. So um, pay attention to that because it is um, it is coming coming soon. 
Oh, interesting. Interesting. So uh, I've been thinking a lot about the Omicron and, um, you know, uh, it seems to be infecting uh, younger people more. But uh, also, given its uh, easy transmissibility, you know, I can imagine that there are people, you know, with outstanding uh, health care concerns, complicating uh, factors, uh, don't want anything to do with it, uh, even even if they're vaccinated and boosted and wear masks and isolate. Uh, you know, there's still some uh, concern and uh, uh, trepidation uh, uh, that Omicron is uh, really dangerous to, to some people. Uh, I kind of mm-hmm. feel like it's the early days, a year and a half ago, um, you know, when when uh, you didn't even want if you were a person who was concerned, you didn't want anyone without a mask on within 10 feet of you. You're like just automatically mm. stay back. I feel kind of like that today. Lauren, what do you think? Well, th- I think that that concern is valid. And I think that it really reinforces that um, right now would be a, a real good time to reassess a, a layered approach to protecting yourself, uh, but also those in your family and community. And, and just unpacking that a little bit, here's, here's kind of what I'm talking about, is um, are these vaccines effective against uh, Omicron? Well, there was a report from Imperial College in London that, that took a look at that question, and it came up with a couple of um, concerning points, is that uh, having previous infection um, of COVID-19 um, that protective factor for reinfection has fallen to about 19%. And just to put that into perspective, in the pre-Omicron era, if you were infected with, uh, with SARS-CoV-2 virus, that gave you roughly about 85% protection over the next six months from getting reinfected. Now that's dropped to about 19%, so, so that's concerning thing about Omicron. Um, but also the the estimated vaccine efficacy against symptomatic o- Omicron infection ha- has dropped to zero to 20% after two doses, and it's probably or likely somewhere between 55 and 80% after a booster dose. So this really highlights two things, is that uh, number one, not only is it incredibly important to get uh, vaccinated, but also boosted, but also very important to layer on uh, protective measures because no one um, intervention is going to work with Omicron. It's going to take a layered approach. Mm-hmm. Okay. A uh, couple, uh, couple other questions here uh, phoned in for travelers flying home after the holidays. Uh, should they isolate or test after travel? Just, you know, out of, out of uh, caution? Or what do you think? Oh yeah, I think generally, if you if you have your hands on an at-home test or call your provider and they think you should get tested, you should go ahead and get tested. But if you're symptomatic, um, you should wear a mask and stay re- away from others for ten days, um, and that's called isolation. Um, isolate yourself from others, but get de- tested on day five. Um, if you're asymptomatic and you're exposed to someone, you know that you're exposed to someone with COVID-19. So that means you're around them uh, within six feet for 15 minutes or longer. Um, then put yourself in self-quarantine if you don't have signs and symptoms for five days. 
Then after that, continue to wear a mask for another five days and go grab a test at the, at the swap site on day five. Okay. And uh, Dorotha at-home tests are available at the Bartlett Street Clinic for folks? They are. Um, so if you arrive, you will be, um, if you qualify, you'll just get tested right then and there. But if not, if um, you're not in a situation where you qualify for a test, then you can take a take-home kit. And one take-home kit actually has two tests in it because the recommendation is that you test once and then you test again in a few days. So um, the one box equals one experience if you will um, but there's actually um, two tests in there but it's designed for the same person for the same purpose and um, even when we're closed there will be instructions right on the window of how to get those um, so yeah so there's no no need to wait if you don't want to if you end up getting a phone call on New Year's Day saying that you were um, with a confirmed positive you don't have to wait um, till Sunday if you don't want um, but you um, certainly you, you certainly can go up and grab a home test or come up on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Mm -hmm. who uh, who would not be eligible for a, uh, a swab test right there it's kind of what folks call the worried well um, you you haven't been exposed you haven't been in a high-risk setting um, you've had a mask on around others in a group setting and they did too um, you never got a phone call saying you're with a confirmed positive nobody you were with had any symptoms just kind of like the curious oh oh okay um, awesome uh, here's a question uh, just uh, sent in on the email uh, probably for you Lauren is there any contract contact tracing uh, still going on now is that still a thing oh yeah that it's gone uh, not only gone but it's gone strong um, uh, two main components of that is uh, we still have a long-standing contract with the University of Alaska Anchorage and UAA um, we're, we're helping to manage that contract of, of a whole workforce of contact tracers um, that are, you know, working each positive as it comes in, being reported to the section of epidemiology, and then to that contact tracing surge workforce. And then, um, then what happens too is if there's a particularly complicated uh, positive or situation, um, then they'll touch base with the local public health nurse, and and they may um, step in and get personally involved while linking folks to local resources too. So yep, um, not only has that been going on for uh, a, a couple years, but I, I think it will keep going uh, at least into the unforeseeable future. Oh, huh. Um, wow, how many people are they, well, how many people have you got doing that and how many people are they calling a day? Oh, you know, that, that surge workforce is about 450 people total and they're not all working part-time they you know they have uh, differing schedules but about 450 people in that particular pool uh, that workforce and then in regards to public health nurses there's uh, 16 public health centers statewide and we've got three grantees those are uh, like tribal governments and corporations and the municipality municipality of Anchorage that takes on those public health nursing um, roles in their community and so that makes up about another 100 uh, public health nurses. Huh. What, um, 
What would what would um, a call be like? I say say I uh, somebody said, oh yeah, Jay was with me, and I am positive now. Uh, what would a call go like when you uh, contact me? Uh, well, oftentimes a call is based upon a positive lab result. Um, so the the name, uh, date of birth. Uh, and also address and telephone number are used by the contact tracers or the public health nurse to reach out and contact that person. Um, so the role there is, is there's quite a few different pieces, but number one is to make sure that they know that that uh, specimen that was collected actually came back positive for SARS-CoV-2 virus. Um, so to make sure that they know that, um, but also to number two, the check-in with them to make sure that they're okay and receiving um, the health care that they need to, to set them up for the best success moving forward. And things like uh, refer them to monoclonal antibody therapy if appropriate. Um, but the one of the other major components is uh, checking in with them to make sure that they're uh, contacting all the people that have been within six feet of them for 15 minutes or longer during their infectious period um, and giving them a heads up that they need to uh, quarantine themselves, stay away from others, uh, but also go seek testing if they're having any signs and symptoms. So that right, so actually begins. So go ahead, Director. So um, that actually begins when you show up to test. So when you come to this a swab and test site on Bartlett Street and you test, and they, um, the person there at the window, hands you a packet. Um, that's kind of step one, and right in that packet, not only is there health information and guidance on what to do while you're waiting for your test results, and et cetera, there's a piece of that packet that is kind of starting your thought process on jotting down your activities over the last 48 hours um, since you tested prior to testing. That way, if your results are positive, that work is already done. Because it gets more difficult, especially if you're not feeling well, it gets more difficult to backtrack to two or three days ago of where did I go that day? So um, right in your test kit is, or your test packet that you're handed at swab site uh, is the materials necessary for you to kind of start that process so that it's a lot easier if you were to get um, that phone call. Mm-hmm. So, Lauren, do I understand that um, your contact tracers are only calling the people who got a positive, and you guys aren't uh, aren't calling that person's contacts? Is is how does this work? Yeah. Who are you calling? That's that's right. It's mostly calling um, the the person that's on the lab slip that had a positive result. <clears throat> and here's what's behind that is. There just isn't a workforce big enough to do all of the work that we would like to do. Um, and that's common in healthcare uh, nowadays. So we have to actually prioritize. And so we're, we're trying to answer the question, with the existing workforce and public health nurses, how can we have the, the biggest, most positive impact on the entire state or communities? Um, so said differently, we can't do everything that we want to do. So we have to do just the most important um, things that have the, the biggest, most positive impact. Um, so even uh, like ye yesterday, two days ago, there was almost 500 cases reported, and, and that's a lot of cases. Um, so when case rates really start to ramp up, uh, 
we can't even get to all of them and that's why we're we've been sending the message for a couple of years now that if, if you're symptomatic uh, don't wait for a call isolate yourself call your uh, medical home or your primary care physician and, and seek testing that's a good question thanks Jay mm-hmm uh if I'm not mistaken, though, when you guys doing contact tracing, you were calling a list of people that were the contacts of the infected, right? Uh, no, we're uh, we're calling the the folks that tested positive, and we're listing names of the contacts and asking them to contact them with the information about wow. uh, them being contacted and seek testing. Oh, okay. I, yeah, it, okay. And that it. looks very different it. when there's uh, 1,000 to 2,000 cases per day because we just can't, you know, we can't call all those people because it, it's just not logistically possible, too many cases. Yeah, yeah, I, that's, yeah. That's, that's why I, uh, I'm surprised it was still going on. I, I thought it was a larger, uh, had the larger focus and I was surprised it was still going on. But now I understand, you know, calling the people who get positive cases. Um, yeah. It's kind of like, uh, you know, Pushki. Yeah. You got Pushki out in your yard and you want to get rid of it. You just you need to keep at it no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> I had a question um, about the, uh, the uh, contact... Uh, Hmm. I'm not sure how to ask this. If I am, shoot, if I'm somebody who was around somebody and I get a phone call, uh, but I feel fine, um, and they said, hey, yeah, we're, we're hanging out uh, the other day, and uh, now I just tested positive, uh, you know, I'm boosted, I'm, uh, I wear masks uh, around other people, uh, you know, what do I do? Do I stand by or do I immediately go get tested? Oh, that's a good question. It would depend on um, a couple of factors. And, and said differently, it would depend on if you are really a contact or not. And what, what a contact is defined as is someone who is within six feet of a person that's in their infectious period so they're able to transmit the virus to other people. So you're close to them within six feet, um, but also duration. So you've been around them for 15 minutes or longer. So if you folks were like, uh, you, you discover you're around someone during their infectious period, um, but you're 10 feet away and, and you were in a large indoor setting and everyone was wearing masks, then you would not be considered a, a, uh, a close contact. But if, if you're riding in a truck together um, to the other side of town, and it took uh, 15 minutes, you would certainly be considered a contact whether you were wearing a mask or not. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, we're coming up on 10 o'clock here, just about, it's 9.51. Uh, I don't currently have any questions in the queue. Uh, Lauren or Dorotha, uh, uh, do you have any uh, uh, final thoughts for us today? Oh, I guess I just have maybe two quickies would be uh, a lot of travel going on with, with the end of 2021 here in the holidays. Um, and I'm also hearing about a lot of delays. So maybe consider, you know, packing some extra masks or other things that help keep you comfortable 
if you're held up in an airport somewhere for several hours or days. Um, but I guess lastly, I would say, you know, this week I've been thinking a lot, reflecting on 2021. It's been a pretty incredible year. I, I just keep thinking about how, as a community, we keep uh, making the impossible possible. So I just want to say thanks to everyone. It's been a great year. Mm-hmm. Dorotha? That was very nice, Lauren. I like that, making the impossible possible. And part of that's teamwork. So thank you very much to KBBI for devoting, oh my gosh, almost two years now, but devoting this whole year to allowing the healthcare providers and public health to um, share what's new and provide guidance and, and help everybody um, through this process. So Happy New Year, everybody. Go enjoy the fireworks because that's something you can do from your car or from the beach or you don't have to be um, in a tiny little room to enjoy that. So that, that's awesome. Happy New Year. Absolutely. And there is nothing more joyous on a dark winter night than fireworks. And the forecast <laughs> looks pretty good. Uh, it's going to cool down to bundle up or as Dorotha said, stay in your car. Uh, and according according to the uh, organizer, I interviewed him, uh, don't make the mistake of going up to Baycrest or to Bishop's Beach because you won't be able to see them from there. So if you're up on the hillside, I think you'll probably be fine. Uh, well, with that, Dorotha Ferraro and Lauren Carroll, thank you both very much for, uh, for always being there for us, for our listeners and informing them with uh, accurate uh, and uh, truthful news. Uh, it's something that we believe public radio excels at. And uh, we're very appreciative that uh, trained professionals like yourself or make yourself available to come on the air here. Uh, it is 9.53, and I'm going to send it back to the uh, station. I want to thank Josh Crone for uh, handling the phones, uh, along with uh, Simon Lopez. Uh, I'm Jay Barrett. This has been the COVID Brief. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you in the new year. Bye-bye.